Welcome to the Provocations podcast. My name is Nick Richardson. I'm joined by Dr. Michael Liffman, who is an associate adjunct at Swinburne University, an experienced academic in philanthropy and a seasoned observer of Australia's donation habits. Michael, welcome to your own podcast. Our first series. podcast. Your you. first, yes, excellent. As um, I said, I've got a great first for podcasts. Well, that makes two of us. Um, so I'd like to explore the general principle, um, the general question really, about how Australians give and perhaps how they can give better. Yeah, I guess um, what interests me is, of course, partly how we can encourage more giving, but particularly how we can encourage better giving, um, giving which is more informed, more motivated, uh, more clearly in accord with some some sort of semi-objective sense of what really will make the maximum impact and do the most good. Now, I know we can't be too rigorous about that, and it's always a some sort of journey between head and heart, but um, if it can be a little bit closer to head, um, I think that would often be a good thing. So when we talk about being closer to head, I suppose we're really saying that we need to be a bit more considered and thoughtful about that. So how does that play out? What are those sorts of decisions, informed decisions we can make? Well, perhaps if I give um, a recent example which preoccupies me, and I'm sure most people who are listening to this will be aware of, the issue of homelessness, and particularly people sleeping rough on the streets of Melbourne and in the city. Um, I'm sure everyone shares my sense of unease when we see someone in that situation, um, and some people give um, without bothering too much or, or, or agonising too much about whether that's the most effective way of helping. They just give because they're feeling compassion and they're feeling it's up to the recipient of the gift to decide what to do with it. Other people um, wonder as to whether that gift or that donation is going to be used effectively or whether it's going to be used to maintain a habit or not change the circumstances which lead to someone being homeless. For those who are in the latter camp, and I'm not making a judgment between the two, but for those who are in the latter camp, and I guess I'm, I'm closer to that position, hmm. I was wondering whether there's a slightly different approach. Um, well, and that different approach is actually, in a sense, providing, I suppose, a, a third party intervening or at least providing some level of um, uh, oversight of what's going on. Some level of oversight, um, a little bit of possibly transparency or accountability, and some sense that something at least a little bit purposeful and helpful in the mid to long term is being offered. To make that concrete, um, I've been interested in the notion that some of the agencies that provide support for homeless people might, um, either on their own behalf or collectively, issue vouchers which would entitle the recipient of that voucher to a bed, a food, some food, shower, long-term, short-term, I don't know what, and possibly some sort of personal support, um, so that instead of giving someone a small amount of money and knowing that that's probably going to be spent and not change anything, um, you don't give that small amount of money, but you buy perhaps a book of vouchers, perhaps 10 vouchers at $25 each or whatever the, the maths is, and when you see someone that you think needs that sort of help, you give them the voucher. 
and that then hopefully means that they are using it in a way which will provide them with slightly more substantial support than if you just give them money on the street. So, I mean, in some, at some level that provides a salve to the person who's made the donation to begin with. Is there, is there anywhere around the world that this has been trialled or people have decided that in small ways that this could make a difference? Yeah, that's a good question and um, I should or someone else perhaps more equipped to do this should be doing some homework on that. I, I don't actually know the answer. Mm. Your, your, your first remark about it being a salve to someone's conscience, I think that's very true and I guess I do have two objectives in this notion. One obviously is it provides more substantial and possibly more useful help to the recipient. Mm. But the other one is that yes indeed if one can give as a result of this more money than one otherwise would give, if instead of walking past or giving someone two dollars one gives them a voucher for 25 or 50 dollars. Yes, that does is a salve to people's conscience, but that's no bad thing. I think uh, if we can encourage people to give more um, in a way that does make them feel better, but is also more effective, that's a win-win. So you and I have been talking about a number of things over the past few weeks, and one of the interesting comments you made only this morning was how angry you, f you felt seemingly a lot of people were, especially who became involved in online debates about issues, uh, especially social issues. So tell me, how do you think that level of emotion translates into, or doesn't translate into giving and supporting um, social causes? Yeah, I think that level of emotion that you describe with the anger, I suspect that's a byproduct of the sort of society we live in and the people who express that um, are probably very marginal and one shouldn't generalise too much from that. There is of course a debate about whether Australians are generous or not. Mm. Um, you can play with different statistics to, 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 to come to a conclusion on that. I'm not sure how really meaningful those statistical pictures are. Um, we all know that when there's a crisis, when there's an emergency, when there's a disaster, people can be very generous. We know that people can be very generous often at a fairly sentimental level, which is not to belittle it, but with you know, the Royal Children's Hospital appeal or the guide dogs or whatever, and that's all very good. Um, and I guess what I'm hoping is that one can encourage people to, for the, the generosity not simply to be impulsive or sentimentally based, but also to be based on some possibly more thought through or more informed sense of purpose and outcome. And I think if, if giving can be more than heartstring, sentimental, spontaneous, but can also be to some degree strategic and informed and purposeful, that will probably encourage giving, possibly will relieve some of the anger because people won't feel that they're just being played on or exploited in order to give, but it will actually they'll feel that their giving is not only solving a conscience, um, but having some observable effect. This is, it's an interesting point, isn't it, about the emotional connections, and use your word, which I think is an interesting one, sentimental about those connections to particular causes, whether it's the tradition of, of the Royal Children's Hospital that's been going on since the 1930s, uh, or whether it's something uh, more directly related to um, personal circumstances, does that sentiment still have a powerful uh, incentive to people, do you think? I think it does and I think if we, if we 
if we try and consider what's, what triggers a if you like a sentimental or an emotional response and how that can be harnessed to a genuinely worthwhile way of helping, that's all to the better. One of the other ideas that I've been thinking about is giving for overseas development. Mm. Um, now, we all know that people give to Oxfam and World Vision and there's the Christmas appeal and all those sorts of things and Australians, I think, do in fact give gen very generously to overseas development. But it did occur to me last time I was travelling that we possibly miss one of the most potentially fruitful trigger points for encouraging people to give and that's while they're travelling. If you're travelling and you see um, a struggling community or you see an extraordinary success story or a wonderful example of, of heritage and cultural preservation. And there and then there is an op you, you'll, you'll probably be moved by that. Um, you'll be aware of, our, uh, uh, of the privilege of our own circumstances compared to what you're seeing. Um, be moved by that and see something that you would like to contribute to. So I've been wondering whether there's an opportunity for some of the major aid agencies to have a greater presence overseas at the points at which people are experiencing something which might move them to give, whether that's a, a restaurant or a small gallery or a village um, or a travel agency. Um, that's the point, it seems to me, at which one can, in a, in a genuinely ex helpful and not exploitative way, um, work on people's sentimental or emotional response to what they're experiencing. Do you think that represents a significant change in behaviour for for, for overseas travellers? Well, when would, I mean, I'm always surprised by how little presence there seems to be when I'm travelling of the major agencies and how little opportunity there is to give. And other people may have a different experience, but I'm very rarely do I encounter at any of the places that any of us as travellers visit um, a money box or something that says you can support this project by da da da. Um, and sometimes when you do, it, 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 sometimes you do see someone asking for money, an organisation, but it's often very local and you may wonder whether it in fact is, a, is an accountable, effective, genuine organisation. People are, are rightly cautious about giving to organisations or individuals that they know nothing about. And that's why I think if there was some organization that that was protected by and had the rep, the reputation of the major agencies um, but then the, directed the funds to local programs that I think would appeal to travelers it does come back to one of those great issues around philanthropy isn't it and that is about accountability and transparency and this is for a lot of people why they feel sometimes uncomfortable about giving to the to the big organisations because they're not convinced that their their money will actually end up where it's supposed to. So how do you actually deal with that issue? It's true that there have been, well particularly recently there's been a, a number of major concerns about Oxfam internationally, mm. not in Australia, mm. um, and the scrutiny that those organisations are now under hopefully will, will um, redress those issues. Um, I think again, one can call on agencies, large and small, to give a little more information um, in an easily digestible form to potential donors as to what they're doing um, and as to what the financial situation is. Another thing that does occasionally bother me is that 
when one is approached to give or get something in the letterbox when it asked to give, often there is very little or possibly no information at all about the budget, about the target, about the overall financial situation of the agency. Um, we don't deal with the business sector like that. We, if we invest in a business, um, we ask for quite hard-headed information and we make an assessment of its, of its effectiveness and of its likely mm. success. We don't seem to expect or ask that of um, community agencies. Now, at one level, that's understandable because the average donor doesn't have the time to go through accounts and so on. But I think the community agencies could could raise the bar a little bit by just telling a little bit more about the background, the financial and background, and, and not necessarily documenting their outcomes, but at least giving some indication that they are rigorous and hard-nosed and transparent in what they do. Michael, thank you very much for your time. You've been listening to Provocations Podcast, brought to you by Philanthropy Australia.